Um, there is both a, a wonderful lace event coming up on the 1st of May. Details in your bulletin that you can see there. Um, that's a song, prayer, and testimony sharing evening. Um, and also, uh, Blue Major doing their uh, Mother's Day high tea. You will never find an A5 sheet of paper with more relevance and things to offer to the women in your life. I commend both of those to you. But now we're going to read God's Word from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd was with him. When he called, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I'd like to invite Jamie up to bring the message. Please welcome Jamie McLean, everybody. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Jamie, and then jump uh, into your Yes. Uh, yes, I, um, oh, I've got this on now. Yeah, I'm Jamie McLean, and some of you might have seen uh, Mary and myself around here in the last, uh, what, 15, 18 months or so, uh, but I have been doing some uh, preaching last year down at Browns Plain, so I was sort of away for three out of four Sundays, but we're beginning to see that this is, the, uh, this is our, our church uh, because we live down at Parkinson. Uh, originally, I've been um, preaching, uh, uh, pastoring up at uh, uh, Gracemere and before that at Yandina. And uh, so some of you know our story. So it's been, um, uh, thank you very much for the privilege of being able to come here and to uh, take uh, the place in your pulpit and trusting me for that, Daryl and pastors, for being able to allow me to do that as I bring uh, the word uh, to you this morning at the Lord has laid on my heart. So I'd just like to open in prayer and um, then we will uh, look at what the Lord has, uh, is bringing to us. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that we can come into your presence. We come, Lord, with an eagerness and a willingness, Lord God, uh, to hear from you, Lord God. And uh, so we open our hearts, we open our will, we open our mind to you also, Lord, that you may speak to us on this day, Lord, and that your word, Lord, will encourage, empower, and enable us to be all that you want us to be in our families, in our workplace, and in our communities, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, today is uh, Palm Sunday, as we see around the place uh, with the palms and all that, and we've just had that Bible reading there from John, and it commemorates the public entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. It was carefully planned by Jesus. And I want you to turn in your scriptures 
to Matthew chapter 21, because I want to read uh, the, uh, this is a passage that I'm basing on here. Uh, so we'll look at Matthew chapter uh, 21, uh, verses 1 through to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as they were told. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on, their, on them, their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their uh, cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, sorry, we lost that one there. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So this morning I just want to look at the actual event of uh, Jesus' uh, entry into Jerusalem and to discover what it might mean for us in our walk with him. And if you have your Bible, whether it's electronic or uh, paper, please have it uh, ready because I will be doing a little bit of jumping around to some passages which will be thrown up uh, but, but may not be there as well. And so I'll just um, have to read them out to you. The coronation. The coronation of a regent or king or queen as a regent is an important public event. Uh, we haven't got that up there. We'll just have to wait and see. Normally the coronation of a king or queen is an opportunity for grand pomp and ceremony, mass displays of military might and an even greater spectacle of immense wealth. And for instance, at the coronation of Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom and the British Empire in 1838, it was reported that she wore a crown encrusted with giant rubies and sapphires. Now, that crown held a 309-carat diamond. Ladies, you probably wouldn't mind one of those on your fingers, would you? Huge, huge one at that stage. But that was not the largest diamond that she had. She carried a scepter, which is like a, a stick with a ball on the top, which represented the world and that. And she carried a scepter, and it had an even larger diamond, weighing some 516 carats or just over 100 grams. Now a 100 gram diamond is a very big diamond. That's a tenth of a kilogram, isn't it? And so that's a huge diamond. But what about the king of kings? Jesus at his earthly coronation, because that's what Palm Sunday as he came into Jerusalem was. 
Jesus entered Jerusalem as the king of the Jews, as heir of David's lineage, and as a fulfilment of the promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7.16, wherein God promised David that his throne would be everlasting and that would always be secure. And that king had come. The eternal king, descendant of the dynasty of David, was now entering Jerusalem's royal city, David city, Jerusalem. He carried no scepter. He wore no crown on his head. He didn't have a gold-encrusted horse-drawn carriage to ride in as Queen Victoria did. But the entrance of Jesus was nonetheless very important. Just as Queen Victoria's coronation was staged in such a way to send a message about her kingdom, so Jesus' coronation was presented in such a way to send a clear message about his kingdom. No, it's not going to go on to that. I don't know what's happening with that, so I'll forget about that. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was no mere accident or of circumstance. He was not ambushed by the crowd of excited well-wishers who then dragged him in that way. He was not manipulated by freedom fighters who wanted to overthrow foreign domination and re-establish Jewish sovereignty over their nation. Jesus planned his entry into Jerusalem, as these two readings have shown us from John and Matthew, in such a way that he, needed, that he wanted to send a message to the people, to the religious leaders and to the world itself. His entrance was to tell them, thanks, that he was the promised offspring of King David and that he was a different king to what the world was used to. And he made this clear later on to Pilate when he said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And that's found in John 18 verse 36. And Pilate responded to him in the next verse by saying, You are a king then? And Jesus replied saying, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. Or as Young's literal translation uh, puts it more accurately, though it is a bit more clumsy in our English because it literally translates word for word, Young's literal translation puts it, Jesus answered, You do say it, because a king I am, I for this have been born. Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king who calls people to him. And Jesus' Palm Sunday entry into Jerusalem was a deliberate public declaration of his divine kingship. And when he was on the outskirts of Jerusalem, the first five verses uh, sets this out and speaks about this. And overlooking the city, he gave specific instructions to two of his disciples on the morning of that first Palm Sunday. He told them to go into the village just ahead of them, before Jerusalem, before the gates, and get a donkey and her colt upon which he was to ride into Jerusalem. Jesus deliberately chose to enter Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey. The horse was a symbol of a conqueror and a ruler. Like Alexander the Great, he had that, that white charger, his horse, and that was his symbol of who he was, the power behind the Greek Empire and that. 
but a donkey was a work animal. It was a beast of burden and of service. Jesus did not intend to enter Jerusalem upon some magnificent white charger. He chose to enter Jerusalem upon the back of a donkey's colt. The disciples were deliberately sent to find this particular animal. And they're told to tell the owner that Jesus needed it for the purpose of his climatic entry into Jerusalem. He was focused, Jesus was focused on fulfilling the prophetic utterance of Zechariah, which both our readings this morning uh, spoke about, uh, mentioned. And so I just want to read that in verses 9 and 10 of Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. You can see the prophecies coming coming through, can't you? Coming to pass. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. This king came to his people. And today Jesus approaches you in exactly the same manner. For now is the season of salvation. Now is still the time of Zechariah 9 verse 9. Your King Jesus comes humbly seeking to serve and through that service is calling you into God's eternal kingdom. Jesus came as completely righteous, having never sinned and being perfectly acceptable in the sight of God. Of him, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 7.26 wrote, He is the one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is your king. This is your king who comes. Jesus entered Jerusalem upon the colt and showed people that he came in humility and in meekness. And as his followers, you are called and I am called to reflect his character and to operate in this world with humility and meekness. Jesus said that to us in Matthew 5, 5 in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Only those who are called by the name of Jesus will inherit the earth, the new earth as we've heard about as we've been going through the book of Revelation. Are you a follower of Jesus? Is he your one and only king? Only those who lay aside their own pride and humbly accept the fact that they cannot save themselves but are dependent upon Jesus for salvation will find that salvation and inherit the earth. Are you a born-again believer who has surrendered your desires to serve your king, who, as Philippians 2 verse 8 reminds us, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross? And on Palm Sunday, Jesus was humbling himself by the way that he entered Jerusalem and he came to his people. Pride puts people in hell, but a meek heart enables people to call upon Jesus for salvation. A meek heart recognises Jesus for who he is, Saviour. People, your king comes to you, gentle and lowly, 
riding on a donkey. Isaiah the prophet wrote down for us what God said was Jesus' mission. And in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 4, Isaiah, under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, wrote this as the words were given to him. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Clearly, this is no earthly king that Isaiah was describing. Clearly, the, the king that Zechariah in that prophetic moment wrote down is this king, no earthly king, but the king nonetheless, the eternal king. He is the true king who seeks to serve rather than to be served. And Jesus wanted the people of Jerusalem and the visiting pilgrims to the Passover feast to understand that he was God's anointed king and that the prophecies that he... Uh, let's go back one. That he um, had uh, fulfilled showed to him and pointed to him who he was. And that's why he deliberately chose... Uh, to come into Jerusalem that way. And this morning, this Palm Sunday morning, understand that Jesus is the fulfilment of all prophecy and understand that there is no salvation in anyone else. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all heaven for people to call on to save them. Have you acknowledged that in your own life by laying down your pride and objections before the feet of Jesus? Jesus makes the first move by coming to you in humility, but you have to make the move to crown him as your king. And you can do that simply by surrendering your will, your objections, your desires to him. You can do that by acknowledging him as a different king who comes not to bully and force you into his kingdom, but calls you into his kingdom. He comes humbly and meekly to call you gently into his kingdom of justice and peace. That day, that, mo that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, history was being made in front of the eyes of the crowds. But do you know, they missed the opportunity to be part of that history. They missed the opportunity to be part of that history. When the disciples brought the two animals back to Jesus, they understood that he was going to ride one of them into Jerusalem. But there was no saddle, and they did not know which one he would ride. Obviously, they'd forgotten the prophecy of Zechariah. Jesus had not yet told them which animal he was going to ride, so in their haste to have everything ready, they put their own cloaks on the backs of both animals. I mean, that's covering your bases, isn't it? Which one's Jesus going to ride? Let's do both of them so he can decide. And then Jesus sat on those cloaks that were on the back of the colt. The mother of the colt came, uh, came with, with the cult because she would be a calming influence on it when for the first time that cult felt the weight of a rider on its back. And so we have a picture of the crowds 
milling around and singing and shouting in excitement as Jesus mounts the colt and his disciples lead the donkey and its colt into Jerusalem. The people, they throw their cloaks on the ground in front of the donkeys. They cut down palm branches and wave them or throw them in front as well. And Jesus rode over their cloaks. And this was an acknowledgement by the crowd that they saw something special in Jesus. Do you see something special in Jesus? Do you see, though, beyond who the crowd saw in front of them? They had a respect for him, no doubt due to the way that he had ministered amongst them, and by throwing their cloaks on the ground for him to ride over, they were in effect, in effect saying, we submit ourselves to you and place ourselves at your feet. We are yours. This was an historical event and the crowd, though involved in it, did not clearly see the implications of the way that he came into Jerusalem. They mistakenly thought themselves that the son of David had come to liberate the city of Jerusalem from the jackboot of Roman occupation. For isn't that, after all, what kings do, liberate you and set you free and, and enslave others? They showed that this was their understanding when they cried out, Hosanna, which means save now. The crowd cried out the words from one of the eight Psalms that even today are sung and recited by devout Jews as they celebrate the Passover. Because remember, the Passover is only a week away. And Psalm 118, verse 25 to 26. Please, Lord, please save us. In other words, Hosanna. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Bible commentator John MacArthur observed, but the crowd on that day was not interested in Jesus saving their souls, but only in his saving their nation. Like the 12, they had long wondered why if Jesus were truly the Messiah, he had not used his supernatural powers against the Romans. Remember earlier on around Galilee where Peter and John and the others in frustration said, that village doesn't accept you, those Samaritans, call down fire on them. That was the way that people saw that Jesus should be operating. They were about to celebrate Passover, which commemorated the Lord's miraculous deliverance from, of Israel from Egypt's bondage. What better occasion could there be for the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, to make the ultimate and final deliverance of his people from tyranny. That's what John MacArthur observed. What about you this morning as you sit here listening to what I'm saying? Do you really know just who this king is? Have you surrendered your life to him? The majority of the people on that day on that first Palm Sunday morning were totally focused on themselves and only saw Jesus as a means of getting what they wanted. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? There's still people like that today, even after all the events of that first Easter weekend. They come to Jesus not to surrender to his kingship, but to get wealth and health for themselves. Then when things get difficult, they evaporate like morning mist in the hot rays of the summer sun. Only five days later, Five days after Palm Sunday, the vast majority of those who stood there welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, the crowds, cried out to Pilate to release a convicted terrorist, Barabbas, 
because Jesus had disappointed them and not given them what they wanted. The people abandoned Jesus when he did not deliver on what they thought that he should. What part of the crowd do we identify with? Do we swing between the two, seeing Jesus as something that should give or Jesus as someone we should surrender totally to? Are you part of the crowd that only wanted Jesus to give when they decided what they decided was their right to have? And when he did not do what they wanted, they became bitter and disillusioned. Or are you part of the crowd that clearly saw that Jesus was the promised Messiah? Jesus confirms to us that there was a mistaken perception of his mission. In uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44, uh, as he's, this is on Palm Sunday as well, as he's coming over the mountain and going, entering Jerusalem. And he says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, and this is a Jerusalem that was welcoming him in this Palm Sunday, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. These are the words of God for us. But now they're hidden from your eyes. And as he cried over Jerusalem because they missed who he was, they didn't understand. He said, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. And he prophesied what happened and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. How sad. No wonder Jesus cried over Jerusalem. They did not know really who was coming into their presence and did not repent and follow him. Jesus the king on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem was to be found weeping over people who would reject his gentle and humble way because they would not accept the truth of his kingdom of peace. He said, I wish that even today you would find the way of peace. Jesus' wish on that first Palm Sunday morning is just as relevant for us on this Palm Sunday morning. Are we disappointed because Jesus did not give us the wealth that we wanted, or the health that we wanted. We will not find everlasting peace in our possessions. You will not find, we will not find everlasting happiness in our health. Jesus reminds you in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, after what is called the Beatitudes, as he continues speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, he reminds us to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where your treasures are being stored up where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He also says, whoever wants to save his own life will lose it and whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? As he posed that question to the crowds, in Matthew chapter 16. Your possessions and your health will fail you. One day they will. They will not last forever. But the everlasting king stands before us this morning as we're reminded on Palm Sunday. And only in Jesus Christ will you find true and everlasting satisfaction and happiness. 
for he is eternal and he calls you to acknowledge him as your true king. Jesus is more than an earthly king. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem caused such a stir that people were just wondering who he was. The crowds that accompanied him into the city made a fundamental error about Jesus' identity. Hopefully we haven't made the same fundamental error. Not long before in the vicinity of Mount Hermon, Jesus asked his disciples what people were saying about him. And they toed and froed about being a prophet, a great teacher. And remember this crowd was calling him a prophet. But they weren't seeing beyond that. And then Jesus asked his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 13 to 16, we see that for some of the disciples, so the disciples through, uh, through Peter, they just received that inspiration of who Jesus was. And they saw that he was Messiah. He was the one, the anointed one of God. But the people would not accept his radical claim to be the one and only son of God, the eternally pre-existing one with the Father and Spirit from whom the whole universe came into being and, from, and in whom the whole universe is being held together. Their view was limited by their self-interests and their self-attitudes. And so it was with these crowds. And they saw Jesus as a prophet. Now a prophet announces the word of God, but is not God. And Jesus declared on many occasions that he was God. And Peter made that same declaration in that Matthew passage I talked about when they said who he was. And those crowds on the first Palm Sunday saw Jesus just as a man upon whom God had placed his prophetic mantle. But Jesus is more than that. And Jesus said, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Jonah is here. Do not lose sight of who Jesus is. To lose sight of who Jesus really is will be fatal for you. If you see Jesus as just a good man or just as a wise teacher, you will be ignorantly placing yourselves under condemnation. Your king comes to you. Will you bow down and surrender yourself to his kingship? He comes to you to set you free from bondage to the false king and to make you a citizen of the heavenly kingdom of Father God. But we must acknowledge his kingship and his right to rule over us. He is a different king and ruler from those of this world. And he showed that by the way that he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 to 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christian, is your first love for your king waning? Come before him. Come before him now and recommit your life to him this Palm Sunday morning in your seats as you're sitting there, as you're listening to what God is saying to you, what the Spirit is speaking into your heart. Salvation and eternal life is to be found only in Jesus Christ. World philosophies and religious leaders may promise much, but only Jesus can deliver. 
Why? Why? Because he gave up all to redeem you and on the third day after dying was raised from the grave into life by Father God, proving that his, ato his atoning death was totally sufficient to give you and to give me life. You can be raised to life by simply trusting in Jesus Christ. You will be raised to life by surrendering your life to this humble king. See, your king comes to you, humble and gentle, riding on the colt of a donkey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that even in your entry into Jerusalem, you showed us the way that we were to be humble and meekly obedient to Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, now we want to surrender afresh our lives to you. We confess that in this week we have demanded from you when we should have waited on you. We confess, Lord God, that at times we have turned away from you instead of turning to you and meekly waiting for you to work in our lives. Renew us, refresh us, Lord, as we enter into this Easter season. Remind us again of the deep truths that will be revealed in your word, Lord God, as we read it and look at it over the Easter season and into next week, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you bless and keep each person here, Lord, uh, that they see your face clearly before them, Lord, and that you grant them peace in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.